Well, good morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here. I want to welcome those of you in the room with us here at our Brandon campus, and as always, those of you who are watching us and worshiping with us online all across the country. Today, we're kicking off a four-week teaching series on the life of Jonah. And I cannot wait uh, just for these next few weeks together as we look at one of the most interesting figures in human history, Jonah. The only human being to be swallowed by a fish. But not the only human being to find himself in a fish's mouth. I, I don't know if, uh, if you've seen this, but uh, a lady by the name of Julie McStorley out in California, a couple years ago, was with her good friend Liz Cottrell and they were kayaking around some humpback whales that were feeding on silverfish. And one of the humpback whales got a little annoyed at these kayakers that were disrupting their feeding frenzy with these silverbacks. And so a whale came up out of the water and grabbed the two kayakers, closed its mouth. There was another kayaker who, of course, in our day and age, this is how it works, had his cell phone out, just filming the whales, right? And happened to capture the whale grabbing the two kayakers on his camera. You can actually go online and you can watch it. It is terrifying. Now, here's the good news. When the whale grabbed Julie McSorley and Liz Cottrell and their kayak, the whale held them in his mouth momentarily, but then let them go. And they were able to fall back into the ocean, figure out that they were uh, able to come up above the waterline, and then they got out of there as fast as they could. Pretty crazy. Um, I read an article where, where Julie McSorley was interviewed. Here's what she said. She said, the experience taught her an important lesson. Whales need their space. Maybe some of you have a similar experience every morning with your spouse, you know. My spouse needs their space at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, the article I read actually had um, like a survivor guide on what to do if you get um, eaten by a whale. So if any of you are ever out in California and you're hanging out during the feeding season with humpback whales and silverfish, here's what you do. This is, this is like word for word what the survival guide says, okay? Kayakers should remain calm and avoid panicking if they find themselves in the mouth of a whale. <laughs> Why is that always the first thing? Can you imagine, like you and your spouse, can you imagine, like, honey, stop panicking. Stay calm. Like, no, I am not staying calm. I am freaking out. That's what I'm going to do. But if you ever find yourself getting eaten by a whale, which is possible, they're large enough to take one or two human beings in, in its mouth, right? Stay calm and don't panic. Here's the second thing you should do. Avoid making any sudden movements or noises. <laughs> Just stay calm. Play dead. And then, here's the third thing. If the whale releases you, 
you should paddle away from the whale as quickly as possible. Apparently, this survival guide was written by a three-year-old. Don't panic. Don't make any noise or sudden movements and then swim away as fast as you can. We often think of Jonah as, you know, the only person ever swallowed by a great fish. The Bible doesn't say whale, but we can assume it was a fish large enough like a whale to swallow a human being. But it's actually the case that there are some people who have encountered whales, been in a whale's mouth. Some people have died, very few. But it has happened. And then some people like Julie McSorley and her friend have found themselves there and survived. Pretty interesting. There there are even survival guides to uh, how to navigate such a circumstance because we know that a fish the size of a whale could easily swallow a human being. We think of Jonah, we think about the fish. But actually, what we're going to see is that the book of Jonah is about a whole lot more than a fish. Jonah is ultimately about more than even Jonah. Jonah is a book about the grace and the goodness of God. You see, Jonah is not the main character of the book of Jonah. The fish is not the main character of the book of Jonah. God is the main character in the book of Jonah. There are only 48 verses in this book. Four of them mention the fish. Nine of them mention the great city of Nineveh, which we're going to talk about today. 18 of the 48 mention Jonah. Check this out. But 38 times in 48 verses, God is explicitly mentioned. God is the main story of the book of Jonah. He is the main character, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to discover something about God and ourselves in walking through what happens with Jonah. It's, it's not ultimately about a fish. It's ultimately about God's plan for our lives. Now, now, let me tell you a little bit about Jonah. Jonah was a contemporary with Amos. So those of you who may be familiar with the Old Testament, Amos was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. They were contemporaries with each other. And Jonah was one who was called to preach to Israel. Uh, let me show you 2 Kings 14. We see here the first mention of Jonah the prophet. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Labo Hamath and the Dead Sea, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had promised through, here it is, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. We, we see mentioned back in 2 Kings during the reign of Jeroboam II, Jonah mentioned as one who was prophesying to Israel, who was, who was proclaiming God's word to God's people. So Jonah is a full-time prophet. He's got a seminary degree. He's got a little bit of experience. That's what he does for a living. He is a mouthpiece for God to the people of Israel. And, and here's the thing. We think about Jonah. We think about the theme here, which is really God's grace, his mercy, his goodness. We're going to talk about God as the hero of the book of Jonah. And, and then as we get into some of the crazy things that happen, I just want to say on the front end that although there have been some to, to doubt even in the context of Christianity, the events of the book of Jonah, let me just say this. If you can get past the very first book of the Bible and the very first verse of the Bible, you won't have any trouble with Jonah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And when you understand that there's a God who created all things with meaning and purpose, beauty and glory from nothing, then uh, you won't have any trouble accepting that there was a great fish that swallowed a man and retained him for three days and three nights. In fact, you know who else accepted Jonah as historical? A man by the name of Jesus. And, and so I just want you to know as we set out today, this book is ultimately about God, not Jonah or a fish. This, th- this book is going to teach us something about God through this prophet Jonah who prophesied to Israel, contemporary with Amos. And God's going to do it in a way that's miraculous because we serve a God who performs miracles. Because he is the God who's created all things out of no thing. And so God is able to do whatever God wants to do. And what God's going to do in the life of Jonah is teach him a very valuable lesson. And through that, teach us a very valuable lesson. It begins this great book with a mandate given to Jonah. Let's look at it in verses 1 and 2. Here's, here's how the letter opens. The book opens. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Here we go. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. All right, now, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to the Old Testament, maybe you're new to Jonah, let me kind of break this down. Jonah, given as a prophet, is given a word from God to get up and go. All right, now that's intentional imagery uh, in Hebrew. The Bible, much of the, most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And uh, we, we have here just this beautiful imagery of, of get up and go. That, that's just a, a part of the Hebrew language and how God would often speak to his prophets. Get up and go. He's told to get up and go and go specifically to this city called Nineveh, which was at the time one of the most important cities of the world. Nineveh was the capital of the great Assyrian empire. As God says to to Jonah here, Jonah is going to preach to a people in a city that is wicked, that is evil. Uh, God says, you're to announce my judgment. The fact that I'm going to bring judgment on all who do not believe in me and who live a life commensurate with their unbelief. Announce judgment, God says to Jonah, because their wickedness has risen up to me. It, 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 has, um, it has risen to such a level that, that it is egregious. And so Jonah's responsibility is to preach against the city. Can I just mention here as a footnote that although we're going to see the grace, the goodness, and the mercy, and the kindness of God, God does not wink at sin. God's commitment to Nineveh is strictly a commitment rooted in his mercy and nothing else. And God is not looking over their sin. God is not winking at it. God is not just, ah, it's okay. You know, I understand. Listen, as is the case, I think, with our nation and every nation that rebels against the good plan and purpose of God, there comes a point in time when the wickedness and the rebellion reaches such a level that God is going to deal with it. God does not wink at sin. he's, He's not just like looking past it here. No, notice here that Nineveh and the Assyrian people are engaged in a lifestyle of such wickedness and rebellion, God says, I'm going to deal with it. You see, the Assyrians were wicked people. They were a rebellious people. They were a, um, just a mean, 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 cruel people. We have um, 
imagery today from palaces dating back to the Assyrians where they depict on their walls various ways that they would torture people. They were known for this. They would impale people through the rib cage so that the weight of the person would press down on the impaling device and slowly kill them. They would uh, skin people alive and tack their flesh up on the city walls. They would uh, gouge people's eyes out, cut off their limbs and leave them to walk around the streets and try to survive. I mean, they were notorious for their wickedness, their their, um, acts of violence, and they celebrated it. In fact, the Assyrians used all of this as acts of psychological warfare. Like they promoted it. Like if you were to go back and look at their Twitter timeline, right? It it had a lot of warnings on it, uh, sensitive content. Like they wanted this out there, okay? They, they were the uh, arch enemies of Israel. They often brought abuse and mistreatment to, to, to Jewish people. Okay, when you come to understand how bad these people were, you can understand why God says to Jonah, go and preach against the city because their evil has risen up to me. It, it, has, um, it has surfaced in such a profound way that, that I'm going to deal with it. And so Jonah, as, as we will see, has some reservations. And um, he didn't just, like, we're going to see this. He, he's not about just to go in the opposite direction. Like, this isn't just, like, um, like, rebellion in Jonah's part. It's resignation. Jonah's like, I'd rather be homeless, God, than do what you're telling me to do. Because he hated these people. I'm sure we've all had times when we were avoiding someone. We dislike someone. We hate someone, right? Maybe we hate them or dislike them for good reasons, right? There's probably at least one person in your past, just think through it, that you don't necessarily want to see in heaven. In fact, if they're in the room, just point them out today and let's just go ahead and <laughs> let's just go ahead and put it out there. Let's just come on. Let's just let's just keep it real, right? I mean, Someone who's been abusive to you, someone who's been um, hateful to you, someone who's embarrassed you. Like, uh, man, we certainly have these people. Okay, so in our lives, right? So, so Jonah, I just want to sit, set the stage here for what happens next. Like the Assyrian people were not good people. They were not neutral people. These are some of the most evil, wicked, angry, violent people who have ever walked the face of the earth. They promoted it proudly, Okay. And God says, yet God says, Jonah, you're going to go preach against this city. Now, so far you're thinking, great, Jonah's going to bring that judgment. No, 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 there's something deeper happening here. So let me take you to verse 3. So here's what happens. But Jonah got up. Notice the play on words here. God said, get up and go. Look at how the Hebrew language pictures this. This is beautiful. So Jonah got up and went. (laughs) He ain't going. No, God said, get up and go. And so Jonah got up and went. In the opposite direction to get away from the Lord, he went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket. He went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, this is amazing. 
God says, I want you to go northeast and Jonah goes west. Let me show you a map here of literally um, the, the direction Jonah was heading, okay? You'll see Joppa where Jonah was located there okay, on the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh, again, is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, was about 550 miles northeast, okay? Now that's a long way when you're traveling by camel, okay? But Jonah says, no, 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 that ain't gonna happen. And he goes, I just want you to see this. He goes to the farthest point of his known world. He literally goes as far away from God in his mind, in like the place where he's from. He, he goes literally the farthest place on the map. At the time, he probably thought the world was flat. And if he went any farther than Tarshish, he would fall off the edge of the earth kind of thing, right? He literally goes as far away as he can possibly go. This is amazing. Jonah's like, I am not doing this. And so the text says Jonah got up, went in the opposite direction, went down to the port of Joppa, and he found a ship. Can I just say as another footnote here? that when you're determined to disobey God, the devil will be more than happy to accommodate your requests. Jonah found a ship. Yeah, when you want to disobey God, you have an enemy that will be more than happy to accommodate your request. And he just so happened to find a ship that was going as far away as he could possibly Go, But here's what I want you to see next. Whenever you commit yourself to that type of disobedience from your heavenly father, there's a storm brewing on the horizon. We don't know how long it's going to take us to get to it, but it's coming. And here's what happens with, with Jonah. Okay, verse 4. I love this. So the Lord, okay, I want you to think Nolan Ryan here. Some of you are like, I don't know who that is. Okay, let me try this again. I don't know. A modern pitcher. Okay, all right, that's the best I can. I don't know. I'm not following it that closely right now if you can't tell. Okay, think of um, your favorite major league pitcher. Okay, this is the idea. The Lord hurls a storm, like throws this storm toward Jonah and those on the boat with him. He throws it over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart, fearing for their lives. The desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Here's the reality. Sometimes in our disobedience, we work harder to disobey than we would just to obey. We spend more to disobey than we were to obey. And we weary ourselves with disobedience when we could refresh ourselves with obedience. And all this is happening to the ship and the sailors and Jonah is asleep. You can just, you can just sense the fatigue in him emotionally, spiritually, like, like he's just sleeping through all of this. No doubt in part because of the weight he's carrying, the burden he's carrying. He literally is running as far away as he can possibly run from the Lord. So he's down there asleep. So the captain goes down after him, verse 6. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Get up and go. He won't do it. He gets up and runs. Now the captain of the ship says, get up and pray. 
And maybe your God will pay attention to us and spare our lives. You know, all of our prayers aren't working on all of our gods who aren't gods. And so then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused this terrible storm. And when they did this, the lot identified Jonah as the culprit. Proverbs teach us that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So often what looks like coincidence to us is divine providence. So that even these unbelievers are able to identify Jonah as the culprit. Well, that's because God is in control of the lot in the same way that he's in control of the fish of the sea. (laughs) And so they say to Jonah now, why has this awful storm come down on us? Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Why are you on our boat? Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And the sailors were terrified when they heard this. Everyone knew the God of Israel. He's the God who delivered them miraculously from slavery in Egypt, the God who does signs and wonders. And so they're freaking out now because Jonah says he was running away from this God who made the sea and the land. And um, so they say, why did you do this? Why in the world did you do this? And um, now the storm, verse 11, was getting worse all the time. And so they said, well, now what should we do to stop it? And Jonah says, well, throw me into the sea and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is my fault. This was the weight he was carrying the entire time and he's trying to sleep. He knows. He knows. Isn't it sad when people who don't know God know and do better than people who do know God? This is kind of a sad state of affairs for Jonah. These unbelieving sailors are like lecturing him on, dude, what are you thinking? You worship the God who made the land and the sea and you're trying to escape this God through the land and the sea? You are a moron. And then Jonah says, worse yet, well, just throw me over this, the side of the ship. So now they're like, oh, so now we're going to be responsible for your death. And you're a full-time employee of this God. Now they're dealing with the weight of this responsibility that maybe be, you know, like accountable for his death. And so look what happens next, verse 13. So the sailors instead row even harder to get the ship to land. Because they're like, no, I don't, we don't want to kill this guy. And um, the stormy sea was too violent for them, so they couldn't make it. So they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Jonah wouldn't do it, so they do it. And they say, oh, Lord God, um, don't make us die for this man's sin. He is stupid. (laughs) Okay, God, we don't really know you, but we fear you. And apparently we fear you more than this clown fears you. And he works for you. And so, um, God, we're going to do what he's telling us to do, but please don't hold us responsible for we know that you've sent this storm upon him for your own good reason. So verse 15, the sailors picked Jonah up. They threw him into the raging sea. The storm stopped at once and the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered a sacrifice to him and vowed to serve him. And here is Jonah, the runaway prophet, refusing to do what God told him to do 
because of his intense hatred for the people to whom God said, go. And there's, um, I think, a profound takeaway here for all of us, okay? And I'm going to break this first chapter down. Next week will be fun because we'll get to this fish thing. But I want to set the stage today, as, as Jonah does in, in this historical account, because we need to feel the gravity of what Jonah felt. We need to feel the burden of what he felt that prompted him to get on the ship instead of traveling to Nineveh. I think it's something that we wrestle with more than we might freely admit. Here's the takeaway. We have a mission of mercy to all people in all places. We, God's people, God's ambassadors, we have a mission of mercy to all people in all places. Okay, a couple takeaways here. First of all, because God redeems rebellious people. Our God is a God who redeems rebellious people. Again, God's not glossing over the sin of Nineveh. He's not glossing over their violence, their their rebellion against him and their mistreatment of the human race. God's not glossing over any of that. He's saying, Jonah, you're going to go preach against it. But Jonah knows, this is what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. Jonah knows that implicit in every proclamation of judgment is a hardwired escape outlet that if the people hearing the judgment repent and turn to God, God will forgive them. God will receive them. God will pour out his mercy upon them and they will be forgiven. Jonah knows this. In fact, he's going to tell God this here as we continue next week. He's going to tell God, God, let me tell you why I ran. I ran because of you. I ran because when I go and preach against that city and I preach judgment and I preach hellfire and brimstone and I preach that there is a heaven and a hell and I preach that you are a God, not just of love and mercy, but of justice and holiness. God, I know that if by some miracle they turn from their rebellion and they receive you as their God, that you will forgive them. And I have no interest in sharing eternity with a people like that. Maybe you're thinking, how in the world could a professional prophet think this way? How could someone this close to God think this way? I'll tell you how. Let me give you a New Testament parallel. The parable of the prodigal son, which if you know that parable, dear ones, listen to me carefully is really the parable of the prodigal elder. Do you know that there were two prodigals in the parable of the prodigal? There's the first prodigal who says to his father, the heck with you, I want what you're giving me, but I don't want you. And in tremendous rebellion and disrespect takes his portion of the inheritance and leaves his father home. We all know about that prodigal, how he humiliates and shames his father Do you know about the second prodigal, his brother, who, by the way, is in close proximity to the father the entire time. But farther from the father's heart, he could not be. And how does that parable end? 
with the father telling the elder brother, my grace, goodness, and mercy that I'm offering your brother, I have given to you the entire time. You are lacking nothing. And the elder brother will not hear it. He's the real prodigal who won't return. You see, you can be close to God. You can know his grace and goodness. You can see his mercy in action and still in your own heart and life not reflect it. So let me ask you this. How would you respond if God said to you, go and preach the gospel to Islamic extremists? Go and preach the gospel to left-wing radicals. Go and preach the gospel to a people who currently oppose you, seek to injure you, humiliate you, make life difficult for you. I have to tell you, there would be a check in my spirit. I mean, if I'm honest, right, I'd have to say there's some people I'd say, God, I'm not excited about that. I mean, if I'm honest, I just got to tell you, there's some people I'd be like, yeah, God, I'll go preach your judgment. Let's get it done, baby. And can I be standing there when you bring the fire? But of course, we know, don't we, that our God is a God who gives in every proclamation of judgment a way of escape through faith and repentance. And that would be the check in our, in our gut. You see, if you knew me as well as I know me, you probably wouldn't come to hear me preach every week. But if I knew you as well as you know you, I wouldn't want to come preach to you anyway. <laughs> Are you tracking with me here? Now, the church version of ourselves says, okay, all respect to our next-gen team, the vacation Bible school version of ourselves says, well, of course we would go. What is Jonah thinking? What a horrible prophet he is. But I think the real-life version of ourselves says, I think I'm with Jonah on this one. I really don't know if I want to share eternity with that person because of what they've done to me. I really don't know if I would welcome that person, those people. I mean, when you really understand the tension here, it's real. And so what overcomes it in us? And what should have overcome it in Jonah? This very simple truth. Our God redeems rebellious people of whom we are a part. You see, our Father rejoices when the lost are found. And there's been some point in our lives when our Father rejoiced when we were found. And you say, well, Pastor, I mean, <laughs> I, I was no <laughs> Assyrian. Well, like I've told you before, listen, God saved you. Here's your testimony. God either saved you from what you were or he saved you from what you would have been. And you know what the scripture says? 
Not a single person in human history is ever gonna bow the knee before Jesus Christ one day and brag about all the reasons he saved them. No, the truth is, when you look at the human heart, there are none who do righteous, not even one. We have all turned aside from God. We have all pressed into our greed, our lust, our anger, our violent hearts at times. We, we have all wished ill on others or done harm to others. Listen, if God allowed us by withdrawing the restraining power of his Holy Spirit, we would all be just like the Assyrians. So God either saved us from what we were or he saved us from what we would have become. And that's why today we understand that we have a mission of mercy to all people in all places because first of all, God redeems rebellious people. We are a part of these rebellious generations. We are a part of it. Our lives may not tangibly have been as bad, but our hearts have that propensity. And let me tell you why we preach the gospel today. Because we have a God and a father who rejoices when the lost are found. That's our story. We're no better than anybody else. That's our story. Secondly, check this out. Hey, some of you need to lean in here. Storms can surface in your life because you have the wrong person in the boat. Again, if that person is here today, just go ahead and... Um, <laughs> Hey, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. This isn't the main takeaway of Jonah 1. But I, I, there's a lot of time spent here on what happens on the boat. So first and foremost, listen, we have a mission of mercy to all people in all places. Okay, that means God redeems rebellious people. we got to humble ourselves and understand, okay, we're a part of that generation God has redeemed. Praise the Lord. Okay, but sometimes, sometimes on our journey of life, we encounter storms that are not our fault but we encounter storms because of the person we let on the boat with us. And so let me just say here to our students, let me say here to some of you maybe who um, are struggling with this, you need good friends in your life, but you need the right friends. You need good friends who are good for you and those who are closest to you should be good for you. Bad company corrupts good character. And sometimes we go through storms because we, we let the wrong person on our boat. Here's, a little bit, here's what I tell my kids. They're not in here so I can tell you this. <laughs> Let me tell you what I tell my girls especially. You don't owe these clowns anything. You don't owe them anything. You should only allow people in your life who share your values who love your Savior and are helping you walk in a way that brings honor and glory to him. Sometimes storms come, you get the wrong person on the boat. <laughs> Lastly then, here's the deal. Your life mission gives your life meaning. Here's what we're seeing in Jonah chapter 1. We, we have a mission of mercy to all people in all places, right? Because we have a God who redeems rebellious people. We have a God who's building Christian community and we have a God then who gives our lives meaning and purpose as we tether them to the mission he has given us. Some of you today are running from God in the wrong direction. Some of you are failing to live life to the fullest as Jesus 
communicated his desire for you simply because you are not living your life according to his will for you. And here's how your life has meaning. Let me just break this down. Your life only has meaning as you align it with his mission. And if you're living your life contrary to the mission he's assigned to you, then you're never gonna have and experience the meaning that he has planned for you. And here's the thing. I know we can look at Jonah. We're gonna look at him in the next couple of weeks and we're just gonna continue to shake our head. There's a sense in which we wanna learn from his very bad example and not repeat it. And here's what we're gonna think if we're not smart about this. We're gonna think, oh my goodness, Jonah, this prophet, what an idiot. And we're gonna see him in heaven and be like, man, you are so dumb. And we're just like, we're gonna like, Jonah, what in the world were you thinking? God gave you a direct command. God gave you a, an immediate commission to go and you didn't do it. And the whole time, we're pointing out the speck in Jonah's eye. There's a log right here because Jesus gave us the same command. Go and make disciples of all nations. You say, how could Jonah receive the command and the commission of God and do the opposite? I don't know. How can you and I do the same thing? Why are there so many churches across the United States that year after year after year baptize nobody? Why are there so many believers in the world who come to church but never invite anybody else to come with them? never talk about their faith, never talk about what Jesus has done for them. You say, why well, don't I have a seminary degree? Neither did the person that Jesus healed who was blind from birth, but that dude walked around like a constant bullhorn of gospel testimony. I was blind, but now I see. People say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that's fine, you don't have to believe it. I'm just telling you what happened. You know what my testimony is? At 15 years old, I was blind, but God made me see. He brought salvation to a rebellious sinner that didn't deserve it. And there may be a lot of people around me that don't believe what God's done in my life. That's their problem. But I'll tell you right now, it's my problem if I don't tell them about it. Just share. Just say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Invite him to come to church. I'm just saying we can all day long. I mean, for the next three weeks, we can just berate Jonah like, you are an idiot. And he, I mean, he was but I tell you, we better be really, really careful about pointing the finger in his direction when Jesus literally gave us the same command. He gave us the same command. Acts 1.8, let me show this to you. This is right what Jesus said before he left. We often think of the final words of Jesus as being on the cross. The final words of Jesus were before his ascension. You wanna know what he said? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. For some of you, <laughs> newsflash, San Francisco needs the gospel. We're gonna edit this part out here in a second. Gavin Newsom needs the gospel. I don't know if he's gonna receive it. He needs it, right? All these loony tunes in the month of June need Jesus. They need Jesus, right? We live in a world that's rebelling. 
We, can I just keep it real? We live in a world that's putting a pregnant woman on the cover of a magazine as if it's a pregnant man. I don't even know what to do with that. There's a sense in which when I look at my nation, I'm like, okay, God, bring the fire. You know what, you know what Peter says? Our God is not slack concerning his promises. He's waiting for the return of his son because he doesn't wish for anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And boy, we're not, we're not gonna compromise God's word. We're not compromising the gospel. We're not compromising God's design around here. If you're new to Bell Shoals, we're not doing that. But let me tell you this, we have to hold firm to the truth with a spirit that while we're standing firm is also asking God to bring a work of revival, even to people that don't deserve it because <clears throat> that was me and that was you. And see, here's what I want you to see today. This is why we have this vision called Go 2030. Your life mission will give your life meaning. When you lean into God's will for your life, I promise you there's nothing better. So can I just give you a challenge here as we kind of set out on this journey the next few weeks? And I mean, we're part of this vision the next seven years, but can I, let me just give you a couple of things. First of all, would you, would you just pray this week specifically that God would give you opportunity to share your story? Not have a theological debate. If you get some questions you can't answer, email me, okay? I'll equip you, that's why I'm here. But you can share your story. Maybe just pray this week for someone in your life to whom you can share your story. Secondly, would you give generously to the work of the gospel through Bell Shoals? This week, over a thousand kids, over 400 volunteers will be on our two largest campuses sharing the gospel. That doesn't happen without generosity. You can't go every day, you can't serve every day, but collectively we can make a difference every day. That happens not just through your witness, but through your generosity. That's God's design for the local church. And then finally, hey, I want to challenge you with this. If you haven't done this yet, you need to sign up and get on a mission trip with us. The last couple of weeks, I've talked to two people. You know what? This makes my heart so happy. First time in their life, they went on a mission trip with us this summer. <laughs> you ought to hear their testimonies. It's amazing. You want God to change your life. You want to discover what meaning is all about. Get on mission. And it'll change your life. And so I just wanna ask you to give consideration today to the reality that there's a Jonah lurking in every Christian's heart. And um, there's still Matthew 28, 19, this great commission that God redeems rebellious people. We have a mission of mercy to all people in all places. Let me tell you what I believe is the core DNA of Bell Shoals that God has blessed over the years. We are a church going to all peoples in all places and we're gonna keep going and we're gonna keep sharing and we're gonna keep giving and we're gonna keep inviting and, and, and we'll let the Lord deal with all the crazies and he's gonna bring his judgment and his day and his time. But until then, he is not slack concerning his promise, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so let's, let, 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 let's keep coming together, Bell Shoals. Let's keep uniting our hearts, our efforts, our dollars, right? Our resources. We're gonna keep doing what we gotta do to get this good news to people all around the world while there is still time because we have a God that brings revival to places like Nineveh. And um, we're gonna be a part of that ongoing work. And so um, let me ask you to stand with me here as we close out our service today. 
Here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're here today, you're running from God, you need encouragement, prayer, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, um, I want to encourage you just to, uh, to connect with me today or a member of our team. You can do that by stopping off at the round tables as you leave or texting Bell Shoals to 77411. Maybe you're interested in a mission trip. You want to find opportunities to make an impact. Connect with us at the round tables, okay? Everything um, is available to you today in terms of connecting with us and making the next step toward discovering your life's meaning and mission in Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. We'll close out our service and be dismissed. And so, Father, I thank you for this mission and movement of which we are a part that is changing the world. I thank you that you're a God of mercy and grace, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And God, I just pray that in these days where there is so much frustration, discouragement, anger, righteous anger over what is happening in our world, that even as we hold fast to the truth, God, we will hold fast to a spirit of compassion and we will join together for as long as you tarry to get this gospel to people while there is still time. God, not everyone will respond, but we know that many will. And so I just pray that through our collective efforts, our giving, our serving, Lord, that you would use us in the work that you've assigned to us. God, help us not to sit on the sidelines, but to get in the game. I pray also, Lord, just for this week, a thousand, over a thousand children with us, many of whom need this gospel. Lord, would you save them? Every single child with us this week who doesn't know you. God, would you bring revival to their homes? God, would you do a great work? I pray for every volunteer, every servant leader with us this week, strengthen them, empower them, encourage them in their work. God, they will make such a difference. And Lord, we just give it to you, not only this week, but our lives. Use us for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.